Hey, guys, grab your Bibles. We're going to be uh, jumping in uh, to our next uh, week here in the Influencer Series. We're in week three. If you are just joining us, if you're online, thank you for joining us. Um, if you've missed the first couple weeks, man, go onto the website and, and catch up. We've uh, talked about two of the greatest influencers of all time. And uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is maybe we're going to get away from kind of the, the individual influencer and talk more broadly, more um, universal experience-wise, all right? But I want to start tonight by telling you about a guy named Vance Packard in 1957. I know, you're surprised. I wasn't even born at that point, okay? And so this is a guy that I'm sure none of you have heard of, but he is a guy that kind of pulled back the curtain on an entire industry. And in that season, in that time of life, everyone was shocked and dismayed. Because back in the 1950s, right, we, you think black and white movies and TV shows and, you know, the, the, just the American dream was happening and, and, you know, World War II was over and there's this new birth of, 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 of just quality living in America. Well, along with that came just this kind of idea of this trustworthiness, right, of, of people, of institutions, of just whatever. It was basically, hey, we trust you and, and we believe that whoever you are, a teacher, a government official, a company, like that, we're all in this together for the good of those around us. Until Vance Packard wrote his book in 1957. His book was entitled The Hidden Persuaders. And it was a book that opened up the vault of secrets that companies, advertisers, and marketers were not what they seemed that actually it showed that there were psychological tricks that they used on consumers to get them to buy their stuff. And so there was a massive breach of trust when this book came out. Because one of the main things that they learned from this book was that advertisers and companies and marketers use fear to sell you product that actually maybe their intentions weren't as golden as they seemed. That actually they would create and manipulate insecurities and fears in order for you to be controlled in buying their product. And this and nothing has changed. It's just gotten worse, right? I mean, that's what commercials are, right? They, they, they like people are paid to come up with, let's invent a problem and then we'll sell them the solution. Right? We will, we'll take an insecurity that someone has and we'll, we'll just kind of press on that insecurity and say, hey, if you just do this though, everything will be fine. You see, the word fear has a lot of uh, different names. It's, it's insecurities, it's anxieties, it's worry. It's all fear. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight is we're going to talk about the influencer named fear. Because there's not one person in this room, not one person watching online that doesn't on a regular basis not just be influenced by, but make decisions because of fear. In fact, one of the ads that changed the game was in 1964. The ad became incredibly famous. It's known as the Daisy ad. And it ran, surprisingly enough, in a political campaign. Those of you who took marketing classes, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. This is the first negative political ad camp or, or, or 
TV commercial. And when you, if you go online, you can watch it. It's a video of this little girl picking daisies. And then all of a sudden, there's this ominous change of voice counting down from 10 to zero. And when it hits zero, you go from a picture of this sweet little girl picking daisies to a nuclear explosion. And then it says, vote. I think it's, I think it's for uh, Lyndon Johnson. Because he was saying, hey, if you vote for the other guy, guess what's gonna happen? Sweet little girl picking daisies is gonna be blown into smithereens. Fear. Vote for me because you're fearful of voting for the other person. And then that changed the entire trajectory of our political landscape. And so it's not just political ads. We see all this, I mean, we see ads all the time, right? You know what I'm talking about. They try and figure out how can we most get you to fear an outcome and then get you to do something different. You see, fear is real. It has biological effects. The weird thing about fear is some people fear fear and some people really pursue fear. Because biologically, when we're scared, roller coasters, scary movies, there are endorphins and hormones that get released that actually feel pretty good when we actually know there's not anything really in danger. Right? We call them adrenaline junkies. But fear is a weird thing. It is very real. It's two things at the same time. In one hand, it is a universal truth that everyone deals with fear, but everyone's individual fear is different. And so, yes, we can collectively talk about fear, but your fear versus my fear versus their fear is gonna be a little different. And I wanna give you maybe a surprise that maybe you, I don't know if you think about this, but fear is not something you age out of, sorry. Fear follows you. Doesn't matter when you think, well, if, just, if this just happens, then I'll be okay. And we'll get into this in a minute, but your situations always change. There's always a new scenario and there's always a new circumstance. And so fear is real, it's universal, it's unique. It, you do not age out of it. And as we talked about our enemy Satan last week is one of his greatest tactics is to convince you to live fearfully. Because when we, fe when we live fearfully and follow me in this, in this thought process, think about the day that we live in. People live in fear of being canceled by saying certain things, having a certain opinions. We live in fear. We live in fear of being misunderstood, that if we say this, something may take it the wrong way. And so we don't speak. We don't do. We don't act. Because we're fearful. Or maybe we live, in, we live fearfully, it looks like not getting the outcome that you desire or dream of. Or maybe it's that not having control over that thing in your life. That if I could just have control over this, if I could just write the story for myself in this, but we can't and so we live in fear. Or maybe it's that perpetual game of what if that you play in your mind all the time. What if this doesn't happen? What if that never happens? What if this goes wrong? What if this goes wrong? What if, what if, what if? You see, when we live in that fear, when we live in that perpetual cycle of listening to, obeying, and making decisions from our fear, Satan wins. Because like I talked about last week, John 10, 10, Jesus says that the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. I can't think of a simpler way to steal 
kill and destroy you than getting you to live enslaved to fear. Because there is no joy in fear. There is no life in fear. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life and give it to the full. Now, my counseling friends uh, here on staff, I always pick their brain on topics like this. And they always want me to clarify some things. So here's a little caveat that I want to clarify. Not all fear is bad. All right, not all fear is bad. There is healthy fear and there is unhealthy fear. Unhealthy fear is limiting and destructive and is rooted in anxiety. All right, unhealthy fear hinders us from walking in the strength of God that God offers. And unhealthy fear leads to internal chaos. Right, that's what I'm talking about is that constant chaos of what if, what if, what if. And with that internal chaos, hear me say this, that internal chaos of living in fear will lead you to make desperate decisions. Whether that's personally, whether that's relationally and who you date, right? Let's be real for a minute. When we make decisions in our, in our romantic life out of desperation and fear, we make bad decisions. What healthy fear looks like is productive and protecting. And that kind of wisdom is rooted in wisdom. Healthy fear is productive and protecting. Healthy fear helps us fully know who God created us to be. And then healthy fear doesn't lead to internal chaos. It leads to internal peace. And I think every single one of us would say, yes, please, I'll have some of that. Because we live in a world that is benefiting and profiting off our internal chaos. They wanna keep us in the loop of chaos and fear so that we will return and hear more and hope, right? That it will end. But I wanna be honest with you. When it comes to healthy fear and that internal peace, it is not found in the people of this world it has not happened in a political party of this world. It is not in a job or a profession or a dollar amount or a relationship. That is not where internal peace is found. In fact, this internal peace of healthy fear is really just an exchange that we make consciously and intentionally. We're exchanging fearing situations and scenarios, right? Because that, that's what we do, right? We, we fear situations, circumstances, and scenarios, what if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? Like, this is what we fear. But we exchange that. We say, you know what? We're gonna take that away and I'm going to listen to God's word and I'm gonna fear the Lord. And I know that sounds weird. But when we talk about fearing the Lord, it's revering the Lord. It is submitting to him. And I don't, some of you guys may be like, that sounds crazy, Andy. I'm not gonna do that. I, don't, I can't even see the guy. But what I want to do in this series and specifically tonight is I want to show you and help you realize that God is trustworthy, that he is good and he is faithful. And even more important than good and faithful, he is sovereign. When you read the gospels of Jesus Christ, you see that he is sovereign over nature. He makes the storm calm. We talked two weeks ago that Jesus takes demons and they submit to him. He speaks it into existence. God is sovereign. 
and he is good and he is faithful. And so we make an exchange. We give up the scenarios and the circumstances and the situations and we say, God, I wanna fear you and you alone because you are good and because you are faithful and because you are sovereign over every situation. And so that internal peace is an important piece. That's what we seek. We try and find it through the ways of this world. But Jesus is an inviting savior who says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest, peace for your souls. He says, take my burden and my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know why it's light? Because he's good. He's not manipulative. He's not trying to profit off you. He is good and he invites you in. Peter instructs us to lay everything down at his feet. Bring all of your anxieties to him. Bring all of your fears. Why? Because he cares for you. And so tonight we're gonna talk about the, the influencer of fear and how we live faithfully in a world gripped by fear. How do we do this? Right? How are we any different than the world we live in? We're gonna dig into that now. How do we actually do that? To set a foundation for tonight, I wanna look at Jeremiah 17, seven through eight. All right, it's in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is a prophet. He is the weeping prophet. If uh, we went on vacation last December, my, just my wife and I, we got the, the in-laws to watch the kids. And for whatever reason, my wife decided, I'm gonna read through Jeremiah on our vacation. And three days in, I was like, sweetheart, could you stop reading Jeremiah right now? Like maybe... Let's go something a little more hopeful, a little bit more full of joy and whatever. Because like she would talk to me like, man, this is heavy stuff. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. And he says in 17, seven through eight, listen, listen to this. Blessed, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This is, it, what we're gonna talk about tonight is founded on this truth, all right? And this is the truth, that fear and faith are going to bear fruit in your life wherever you're planted. Wherever you plant yourself, you will bear fruit from. So whether you root yourself in whatever that is, is peddling and selling you fear, you, that, that will bear fruit in your life. Or if you plant yourself, as Jeremiah says, and you find your confidence in the Lord, you will be like a tree planted by the water. No matter the season that comes, it will bear good fruit. Fear and faith are the fruit that is produced from where we are planted. I'm gonna make one small change to my typical outline. Usually I do a so what at the end. I'm not gonna do that tonight because the so what's are weaved into in every single point tonight, all right? So I'm not gonna point them out for you. If you wanna write them down, great, but we're not gonna do a so what at the end. Just know I'm gonna give you some so what's as we go through. So living faithfully in a fearful world means this. Number one, seeing rightly. Living faithfully in a fearful world means seeing rightly. Let me tell you a quick story that comes from uh, 2 Kings chapter six. There's, a, there's an Old Testament prophet. His name's Elijah. And Elijah is, is a prophet of God, means he's a messenger of God. He's the mouthpiece of God to the nation of Israel. 
And with him travels a servant, a helper that helps him get around. And, and they, they travel into this, this particular town and uh, they set up camp and, and they go to sleep. And this particular town in, in 2 Kings chapter 6 is actually about to be under siege by an enemy. And in the middle of the night, the enemy surrounds the city. And the servant wakes up in the morning, looks outside of town and sees the enemy is preparing to attack. And he freaks out. Like we know these people, right? We know these people, they're the worst case scenario people. All the Enneagram sixes, this is us, right? We're always thinking, oh no, this is the end. <laughs> like what if this happens? I, I, I'm imagining that this servant of Elijah is a six. And he looks out and he freaks out and he runs with Elijah like, oh my goodness, the enemy has come. We are, we're, we're, we're done for. And Elijah does not freak out. He looks out the window and he sees what the servant sees. They are in the exact same situation. And as the servant's freaking out, probably trying to get his stuff together, maybe dropping down and saying a quick Hail Mary prayers, like God help us, you know, whatever. Elijah sees it completely different, even though they're in the exact same situation. And so what he does is Elijah prays, but he prays a different prayer. In verse 17, it says, and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, my servant, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Over the last several weeks and even this, this series this summer, we talked about the fact that there is a physical world and there's a spiritual world. You see, the difference between the servant and Elisha is that one saw a false reality, only the physical. Elisha, the prophet, saw both the physical and the spiritual. And he, re, and he, and he said, God, let my boy see what, what you're actually doing. Let my guy see that you've got things under control, that he is not alone. Because that's what Satan loves to convince you of, is that you are alone in your fears, and it's all up to you. But the reality is that we see this phrase all the time throughout Scripture is that, do not fear, for I am with you. It's not do not fear because you're just fantastic and you can get through it, just power your way through it. It's do not fear, do not be afraid, for I am with you with you. And we see Elisha say the exact same thing in Ephesians 6. Elisha knows our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers of evil. It is not just the physical. And the great thing is, is that we have a savior who has defeated death. 1 John 4, 4, John encourages us. He says, the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You see, as Christians, we have amnesia. We forget who is king of kings and lord of lord. We forget who tells the sun to come up. I mean, man, just read Job 38 through 41. Go for it. It is literally three straight chapters of God himself telling Job and asking Job, who are you? Where were you when I saw the goat on the mountainside give birth? What? Like... God, I mean, God is flexing in Job 38 through 41. He's like, where were you? 
And Job only has one answer. He's like, I will shut my mouth. He puts his hand over his mouth and he says, I can speak no more. Because he was looking at his situation. He was looking at his circumstance. He was not looking at who the Lord is. Because Satan's tactic here is to make us fearful of different circumstances and situations. And he does and he distracts us. The, the real truth is that there will always be another situation to be fearful of. There will always be another scenario. And so our hope as believers and followers of Jesus, get, hear me here, our hope, your hope and your joy is not found in you having a better situation. It is you following the Savior who is over every circumstance and works through every situation. That is where we find that internal peace that we are promised with Christ. It's, it, it, it's a physical act of heart repentance. It is turning from the situation. This is the situation. This is the scenario. Oh no, what if, what if? And we repent and we move and say, all right, but God, you are the God of every situation. God is doing more than you think. Write that down. God is doing more than you think. I could tell you story after story in my life. We just don't have time tonight. Where I saw one thing and then years later I can be like, oh, but that's what he was doing. God is doing more than you think. There's a Holocaust survivor and author named Corey Tenboom. My mother read me her, her book and her story when I was a child. She's got a wonderful quote. It says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And on top of that, that known God is good and he is sovereign and he is faithful. And he's doing more than you think. So we need to see things rightly. And that means knowing that God is doing more than we think in every situation. So what we pray then, what we pray is God help me see this situation, this circumstance, this season, how you see it. Just like Elisha, right? The servant was only looking at the circumstance. If he had just turned to the prophet of God and said, what does God see here? What do you see? Another prayer in my help is God, help me see what you're doing in this season. I pray this all the time. God, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why this is happening. Bad things have happened to me. Unfortunate things have happened to me. Things that I would have never written or planned have happened to me. This is the prayer. God, show me. Show me what you're doing because I believe that you are good. Your word says that you are good and you are faithful and you're sovereign. So that means you're working. Show me what you're doing. The second thing, living faithfully in a fearful world means that we're listening carefully, right? You've heard me say this the last two weeks. We're gonna dive a little deeper. Luke 8, 18, Jesus says, consider carefully how you listen. Consider carefully how you listen. So let's do a little bit of a deep dive on Proverbs chapter two. One through eight. This is what Solomon says. He's writing to his son about wisdom. He says, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. 
incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek wisdom as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he watches over the way of his godly ones. Are you hearing the promises here? Right, like it says, he stores up wisdom for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk in integrity. He guards the path of justice and he watches over you, his godly ones. And we, and we live in fear. Are you kidding me? And we live in fear. Verse two, I wanna take a magnifying glass too. It says, make your, make your ear, because we wanna listen carefully. Make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. We make our ear. It's an intentional, purposeful decision. We make our ears listen carefully. To what? Attentive to wisdom. Not foolishness, not the juicy gossip, we make an intentional decision to listen, turn our ears, to be attentive to wisdom. Like I think about when you're in your car, if you know what a radio dial is, you, turn, you tune it, right? You, 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 you work the dial. You're like, hey, I wanna listen to some sports talk radio or I wanna listen to some country music or I wanna listen to the top 40. Like you're not saying, I just, I'm just gonna listen to what I want I'm gonna say, I'm gonna get to this station and whatever's there, that's what I'm listening to. So we tune our ear to the Lord's voice and then whatever he says, we listen to. What we're told in this day is you do you. You turn your ear and your heart towards whatever you want. The lusts of your flesh, turn it to your insecurities, turn it to pleasure and to comfort and to money and to power. Tune your heart to those things. And then it says incline, which means lead, lean towards and pursue understanding. Like this is one of those things that like, I don't think we ha actually have time to do. Can we be honest? Like we, we're getting so much stuff coming our way. Do we ever even take the time to process through what we're hearing? It's an interesting idea. Make your ear attentive to wisdom specifically and incline your heart to understanding. Proverbs 18.2 says the opposite. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only expressing his opinion. All right, listen to this verse one more time through the lens of social media. Listen to this. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expressing his own opinion. There has never been a more, um, there's never been a proverb that is more useful than today, than that. That is the world we live in. No one is listening. No one is understanding. They're just talking. Just talking. 
So here's the warning. If you aren't, if we aren't giving yourself space to listen carefully, then the loudest voices are the only voices you will hear. And the loudest voices are usually the voices that are fueling your fear. All right, let me say that again. If you are not taking the time to listen carefully, to turn your heart, incline your heart to understanding, if we're not making the space and the time to listen carefully, the loudest voices will be the only voices you hear. And the loudest voices are the ones that are most likely fueling your fears. And so when you're living fearful, when you feel those feelings of fear rise up, ask yourself, is that just the loudest voice that I'm hearing? Or is that the wisest voice that I'm hearing? And that goes back to where you plant yourself, what you listen to, what you watch, what you read. Where are you planting yourself? Because it will bear fruit, whether it's fearful fruit or faithful fruit. Lastly, number three, living faithfully in a fearful world means processing wisely. Living faithfully in a fearful world means processing wisely. We see rightly, we listen carefully, and then we process wisely. We process what we see, and we process what we hear. Because for some of you, like me, you were never sat down and taught how to process information. And unfortunately, you guys and myself, we live in a day, my kids are growing up in a world where there is one headline after another, after another, after another, after another, and we, they're, they're not giving us space to process. That's why fake news has thrived in this environment, because no one's actually processing wisely. They're just reacting quickly. And so we need to learn to process wisely because of the constant information intake. That's why it's important to make space to actually process the information we have carefully listened to. And the most wonderful thing is that God gives us three wonderful gifts to help us process wisely. The first one is God's word. We process wisely by putting what we've heard and what we see up against God's word and see what sticks. Psalm 119.105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shines light on the world, on your life. And so we take God's word. We lift it up. We say, all right, this is what I'm hearing. What does God say about this? This is the worldview that's being pushed on me from friends or family or whoever. What does God think about this? I think it's one of the most, the best questions we can train ourselves to ask. Does God have an opinion on this? Because if we're not asking that question, the loudest voice will just tell you what it is. And so another question that you may wanna ask as we look through God's word is what does God want me to think about this? Guys, we got plenty of people telling us how to think. But do we stop? and process wisely by asking, what does God think about this and what does he want me to believe about this? Or what does God want me to desire? Like what's God's heart for me? What does he want me to desire? And then lastly, what does God want me to do? Because it can't just be this, this mental ascent. It's, hey, God, what do you want from me? What do you think about this? 
What do you want me to understand about this? What do you want me to desire out of this? What do you want me to do out of this? As we process wisely. So he gives us God's word. The second thing, he gives us God's spirit. When we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And the Holy Spirit, man, he is, he is a spirit, the spirit of wisdom. In Ephesians 1.17, Paul's praying for the, the church in Ephesus. And he prays that, that, that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And so we've got God's word. We've got his spirit, right? And so in Philippians 4, Paul writes, do not be anxious. Do not be worried. Do not be fearful of anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. Go to the Spirit, pray, bring your fears to him. They're not too big for him. They do not scare him. They may scare us. <laughs> they may cause anxiety in our life, but they do, it, it does not shake the Lord. And his Spirit as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, dwells in you. And so we get his word, we have his Spirit, and then we have God's people. Because when we are around fellow believers, right, the Holy Spirit's not just in me, it's in every believer who's following Jesus. And so, so we get God's word with God's people and let God's spirit in those people help us process wisely. One of the worst things I know I've done in my life, I mean, I could take you, again, I could tell some stories of, of my foolishness, but is, is, is trying to process in isolation. One of the worst things you could possibly do. Like if you wanna jack up your life, make all of your important decisions by yourself, in your own head, responding to your emotions. Like one of the, when I was a high school pastor, um, you know, I, I would hear the same things over and over and over. And I would hear like these high school kids say some crazy stuff. And let's be honest, I hear some young adults say some crazy stuff too. And I also hear some 40 year olds say some crazy stuff too. Like that's just who we are. And here's the line I would say, is like, I want you to repeat what you just said out loud and listen to yourself. And almost every time they'd be like, okay, oh. <laughs> There's just something about being with other people who love the Lord, who care for you and saying, hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm fearful of. Here's, here's that scenario I'm playing out in my head. Can I share it with you? and then help them prayerfully with the spirit that lives in them and that lives in you, we flesh that out. That's why it's so important to be in community. And when I say community, I mean small groups, I mean in a consistent relationship where you talk about spiritual things, not just your boys, but where we actually seek wise counsel. Like so many of us play the what if game in our own heads. Play the what if game with them. Don't play the what if game by yourself. Well, what if this happens? Well, then we'll do this. Okay, well, what if this happens? Well, we'll be here for you. It will, then we'll do this. Play it with them. Like you guys do this all the time, guys and girls alike. You get the text message from somebody that you're interested in and you take a screenshot and you send it to your people and you're like, what does this mean? What do I say? Is it like, what's that emoji mean? Like what's happening, right? We do this. So let's continue in that, like Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people fall, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. So God 
helps us to process wisely through his word, with his spirit, and with his people. And so living faithfully in a fearful world means that we see rightly, we listen carefully by processing wisely. And we can live faithfully instead of fearfully because of God's goodness, because of God's faithfulness, and because of God's sovereignty. We don't have to fear circumstances because we know the God that works in and through every circumstance for your good and for his glory. In the end, if you're a math person, it's God's goodness and sovereignty plus his sovereignty that equals our peace. It's God's goodness plus God's sovereignty is our peace. And so we replace our situations with the God of every situation. Let's pray. Lord, I wanna thank you for tonight. Thank you that your word, that your Bible, that your, your son Jesus and, and the disciples and the prophets talk about fear all the time. And God, it's like you knew who we were. It's like you knew how we would tick. That the greatest and most, and most uh, consistent command is do not be afraid, for I am with you. Jesus, you told us in Matthew 28, do not be afraid, for I am with you till the end of the earth. And so God, thank you that you are empathetic towards us, that you understand us, and that you don't just leave us that way. That you give us your word, you've given us your spirit, and you've given us your people. So Lord, I pray you'd help us, strengthen us, to know, to be able to identify our fears and to be able to walk faithfully and respond faithfully to those fears instead of responding with chaos and worry and anxiety. Help us lean into you. Help us lean into one another. We pray these things in your name. Amen.